Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time in episode 54, we're going to have 10 top safety tips. I still don't know what top means, but, but whatever. We're also going to do some tech talk about our favorite topic, rodents. A tale from the road involving a frisbee and a car accident. A product review of a very clever little thing that lets you get up on the roof. And a resource recommendation that includes the whole world. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. Folks, we have a situation. I recently read a letter sent to me from a lovely woman by the name of Liz who gave advice on how women can employ disposable containers for their excretory needs in the van. Liz sent me a follow-up, and it's a very important follow-up, so I'm going to read it to you. I forgot to say that I strongly do not recommend those fancy funnels you can buy so you can, theoretically, pee standing up. The issue with them is that the liquid does not exit the funnel as fast as it exits your body, so you can end up with an overflow issue, and they require practice to get good at using. I've never gotten the hang of them. Well, thank you, Liz. That's very good advice. These these things that are commonly known as shiwis are silicone kind of devices that allow women to pee standing up in the fashion of a man. But why are we trying to turn women into men in this regard? This device basically makes women peeing as convenient as it is for men to pee. Well, I got another letter from someone by the name of Hexoic, and they wrote a letter that is directly related to this topic, and I'm going to read it too. I was recently listening to the podcast about women being able to pee into a wide mouth glass under a skirt. If I remember correctly, the listener had suggested squatting while doing so. And while that certainly can be a bit more discreet, since the skirt covers everything, And I'm not against that at all, but it also reminded me that not everybody seems to know that we don't actually need to squat to pee. For a while, I grew up with an outdoor composting toilet for solids. For pee, we actually used juice cartons with the top cut off. I grew up standing to pee, and honestly, sitting down was a bit weird for a while after we got normal toilets. As long as there's a container under you to catch the stream, it's not like you're going to pee upwards. Any wide mouth Nalgene or similar will do it. Hexoic, I think that's an excellent point. You and Liz have both hit on something here. We have these societal standards in how people are supposed to pee, and the rules such that they are, seem to apply mostly to women, where men can basically do whatever they want. Shocker. Folks who are not men listening to this program, who have the need to pee, I ask you to break free from the barriers put upon you by society and just do what you need to do to get the job done. You can squat with a bottle, you can stand up with a juice carton, or maybe you can actually make one of those shiwi things kind of work. I know many people do. But don't listen to other people, especially men, tell you what the proper way to do this is. You have embraced van life because it allows you to be an individual. Be an individual when you pee, too. Thank you, Liz and Hexoic and other folks who've chimed in on this issue. It is one of the first questions people ask about van life, so I'm happy to cover it. 
but it is not the main topic for this week. No, no. The main topic for this week is 10 top safety tips. And as I've said many times, I don't know how you decide what the top is. I excluded safety tips involving other people trying to mess with you. A lot of what you do in how you build your van and how you live in your van and how you drive your van impacts your personal safety. And I think it's important to bring that around and talk about it as its own issue, separate from people breaking into your van or whatever. All right, number one, install detectors. Yes, especially if you're going to be burning any kind of fuel inside your van, even if you're not, this is important. There are three kinds of detectors you should have in your van. A smoke detector, a carbon monoxide detector, and an explosive gas detector. You want a smoke detector mounted on the ceiling of your van somewhere. Smoke will kill you. It's important. And I actually have two. I have a smoke detector mounted in the back of my van, and I have another one mounted near the batteries, because I want to know as soon as I can if there's any kind of smoke issues near my batteries. Carbon monoxide is also hugely important. Carbon monoxide can be produced by anything that burns, period. It can also be caused by leaks just in your van's exhaust system, so it's a great thing to have. And the third is an explosive gas detector. This is the least important of the three. What it will check for is if your propane's leaking or your butane's leaking or even if your gasoline's leaking. But it's a secondary safety because all those things have strong odorants added. That is your primary safety. Still, it doesn't take up much space. It's not very expensive. Definitely consider getting one. Also, as a side note, number two, the very first thing you should buy when you start building your van, yes, even before you buy the van, a fire extinguisher. Oh, buy a fire extinguisher, really. This, this $15 device can be the difference between you having to clean up a mess or having to buy a whole new van, or worse. Make sure you mount it somewhere in the van where it's easy to get to. Uh, ideally, you'd be able to reach it from the driver's seat and from the back, but you'll have to play around with your own build to see where the best place is, or put in two. There's no crime in having more than one. When you buy one, make sure it is at least a BC type or an ABC type. Those are the ones recommended for vehicles. Number three, this one is not so obvious. Secure your load. Now that's an expression you hear truckers say all the time. So imagine this, you're driving down the road at 75 miles an hour and something runs in front of your van. Could be a rabbit, could be a deer, could be a small child. Now, if it's a rabbit, I'm sorry to tell you this, but safety says you should just keep going and hope that that rabbit fits between the wheels. I know it's harsh to say, but you're going to put yourself and possibly other people at risk if you swerve to avoid the rabbit. Now, when we get to a deer, it's a little different because hitting the deer can actually be life-threatening. So you have to kind of weigh in that split second you have to make a decision whether you swerve around the deer or whatever. And if it's a child, you're going to try to stop. You are. Even if you don't think you are, you're going to try to stop. And when you do, all that stuff in the van is going to have to go from 75 miles an hour to zero miles per hour, just like your body is. The difference is, is that you're wearing a seatbelt. But that stuff you put in the back, that nice card table you put back there that, you know, fits really nice. And, it, you know, it doesn't weigh that much. So you didn't bother, like, screwing it down or anything. Yeah, you slam on your brakes. That thing's coming at your head at 75 miles an hour. 
Whatever you put in the back, be sure to consider what's going to happen to it when you slam on the brakes. And for this reason, above all others, I recommend you have a partition, at least behind the driver's seat. Let the partition take that flying can of propane instead of the back of your head. Number four, when in doubt, add a fuse. If you ever find yourself asking the question, I wonder if I should put a fuse here? The answer is yes, just add a fuse. Fuses are pieces of metal designed to melt before the wires do. That's all they do. They're not magic. When the fuse melts and separates, the circuit is dead and whatever was causing the excess heat is now gone. Not having fuses in the right place is what causes electrical fires. Yeah, you can talk about shorts and screws going through wires and all that, but every time you hear of an electrical fire, a fuse would have saved it. Number five, remember the maxim, and this actually comes from Land Rovers, slow as possible, fast as necessary. Just like we were talking about slamming on the brakes earlier, all the energy that you put into your vehicle to get it up to speed, it's in your body. The faster you go, the more energy is in your body. And normally it will gradually be released when you step on the brakes and slow down and there's no problem. The problem comes when it's released all at once. So, a way to be safe is to simply drive slower. I am also somebody who drives faster than I should. And sometimes I'll pass a van doing 55 and I'll be like, what are they doing? What they're doing is two things. They're being safe and they're saving money. <laughs> because driving at 50 to 55 is about the optimal point for saving gasoline. Number six, have a way to get into your van if you lose your keys. Now, I'm not saying you should get one of those magnetic hide-a-key things, although you can. All I'm saying is have a plan for what you're going to do when your keys jump out of your pocket and fall down the sewer. Replacement keys can be very expensive these days. I spent $150 making a replacement key for my van. I have a way to get into my van should I lose my keys. And I'm not going to tell you what I did because I want it to be a secret. I don't want anyone to figure out where my key is. Number seven, if you are the kind of person who likes to go hiking a lot, maybe you're a dirtbag, maybe you are like Foresty Forest and who hikes like seven mountains a day, get a GPS beacon. They look like little walkie-talkies. You don't need a cell signal or radio signal or anything like that. All you need is to be able to see the sky. They have buttons on them that you can press that say, I need help. And when you do that, emergency services is located to your exact location and they know you need help and they will come help you. Some of the fancier ones also have the ability to send a text message, like you could send a message to someone saying, hey, I'm here, I'm okay, or whatever. Now, these things aren't cheap, and they usually come with subscription plans that also aren't cheap, and of course, the more features you add, the more expense there is. But they could be lifesavers. There was a whole movie made about a guy who fell in a hole and got his arm caught. If he had had one of these devices, he'd still have an arm. Number eight. Seems like an obvious one, but have a way to start a fire. In fact, if you're out in the wilderness, you should always always, always have a way to start a fire on your person. Matches are the best because they're the simplest and there's not that much that can go wrong. You can waterproof matches by covering them with nail polish. I like the strike anywhere matches like the blue tips. You can strike it on a rock. But the reasons you want to be able to start a fire are not just that you want to have a fire. 
fire is super useful. Not only can it keep you warm, not only can you cook with it, not only can you make water safe with it by boiling it, it can also be a signal device. If you light three fires at night in a line with some distance between them, somewhere where people can see them, that is the universal signal for distress. One match is all you need to broadcast your distress for maybe 20 miles, depending on where you are. Number nine, this one's a little bit controversial, but depending on what you're going to be doing, have spare fuel. Now, if you're going to be doing some serious overlanding, like you're going to be going 30, 40 miles off-road out in the American Southwest, you're going to want to have a, like a jerry can, a big five-gallon can of fuel at least, maybe two. You're probably going to want to have extra tires too. But even for the rest of us who are kind of staying on pavement most of the time, having spare fuel is not a bad idea. And they make this stuff called True Fuel. It's T-R-U Fuel. And they're quart cans of fuel that have stabilizers added. And the idea is you just throw it in your vehicle somewhere gently. And then if you need it, you can dump it in the tank and you get a quart's worth of mileage out of it. Now, if your van's getting 20 miles a gallon, you're going to get five miles out of it. And while that may not seem like much... Five miles can be a whole lot if you run out of gas. So I do recommend that. I carry a can with myself. I haven't had to use it yet, thankfully. And number 10, always have a plan B. And no, I'm not talking about birth control, although that's not a bad idea either. Vans kind of lend themselves naturally to plan Bs because they have wheels. You can move them. You can change things. And so some of the plan Bs I'm talking about are... Have a second place to sleep for that night. I always do this. I pick my primary place I want to sleep, and then if something goes wrong, I have a plan B all set, and I can just go there. I don't have to, like, load iOverlander and try to figure it out or anything like that. I just know I always have that plan B. Have a plan B for what you're going to do that day. Oh, I think I'm going to go hike this trail, and then, oh, there's a forest fire, or there's raining, or landslides, or aliens have invaded, whatever. Okay, I'm going to go to this museum instead. Have a plan B as much as you can, as often as you can, up to and including not having a van. And by that I mean, have stuff with you so that if for some reason you can't sleep in the van that night, you have a place to sleep. That can be as simple as having a few hundred bucks in the bank for a hotel, or what I like is to have a very small tent and sleeping bag and such in a duffel bag that you can just grab. And that way, if the van needs a repair and you need to have it in the shop overnight, you can just grab that bag and then go do some stealth camping or go stay at a campground or whatever. That's 10 top safety tips. I don't know if they're the top, but they are safety tips. Consider these things and you will be vanning much longer than folks who don't consider these things. Tech Talk. Rodents. Yes, we're going to talk about rodents. Rodents of unusual size, rodents of normal size. Actually, the worst ones are the rodents of small size. If you follow the RV groups at all, and yes, the van groups, you will often see rodents being a problem in people's vehicles. They're primarily a problem for people who are stationary. It takes time for the rodents to get into your van and get comfortable. If you're in a different place every night, rodents are going to be less of a problem. In Canada, they have a problem with porcupines attacking vehicles to such an extent that some of the campgrounds have barriers that you put around your vehicle at night just to keep the porcupines out. 
And the issue isn't as obvious as you might think. Yes, of course you want to keep all your food put away. A few crumbs on the floor from those late night Oreos is a smorgasbord to rodents. So you have to be clean. But you've got another problem that's not so easy. A lot of the insulation that covers wires now is made out of a soy-based material that animals actually like. Now, I have had rodents in my vehicle. I actually had a, a van that the rodents got up in the engine. They didn't get in the back where I was, and they chewed the injector wires, and I basically lost a cylinder. My four-cylinder vehicle became a three-cylinder vehicle because some little mouse rat was chewing on the wires. So what can you do to stop this? Well, there isn't all that much. First thing you can do is move. Move your vehicle as much as you can. Another thing you can do is to have a pet. Just having a dog in the vehicle is going to drive away some of the rodents. One suggestion is, is that you put a Frisbee or something like that under each wheel and then fill it with water. Something that will prevent the critters from climbing up your tires because that's usually how they get in there. Now, if you're hooked up to shore power, you got to deal with that too. Another suggestion is to take hot sauce the hottest hot sauce you can get, and to smear it on your wires. Because rodents have saliva just like we do, they have mucous membranes just like we do, and they don't like the hot things. Other people have suggested that that makes the van smell like food, and it attracts more animals. So, I don't know. Park away from bushes, park in as open a place as you can get, and don't fall for the scams. There are a lot of ultrasonic rodent repellents that, boy, wouldn't that be great if they actually worked? I mean, you just plug this thing in and then no more rodents? Yeah, they don't work. I, I don't care what the advertisements say. I've owned them. They have not done a thing. Other people have owned them and reported that they don't do a thing. They, they just don't work. Some people said that putting peppermint around your van will keep them away. Eh, sorry, that really doesn't work all that much either. The fact is that we live in rodent world. We're just guests here. The world belongs to them. And the best you can do is to keep your van clean and move the vehicle as often as you can. Tales from the road. This is something that happened to me on the road, although I was a pedestrian at the time. It was a life learning moment. It kind of informed my view of the world to a great extent. This was way back in about 1990. That Murray Holiday Park in Salt Lake City, Utah, near Sandy. I think they pronounce it Murray, actually. And they have this giant Frisbee golf course there, or at least they used to. Again, we're talking about 30 years ago now. And I'd get together with my friends, and we'd go out and play Frisbee golf fairly often. And one of the holes was right next to this fairly busy road. It wasn't a highway or anything, but it was this big curving road that went around the park. And I was over there because I had missed the basket by some ridiculous amount. And I hear this car come tearing around the corner. And then that telltale impact sound. <laughs> and that car, the speeding car, keeps going. And I, I catch a glimpse of it. But it has hit this other car, which had, it has knocked backwards through the trees, down the embankment, sort of in the general area where I was. Now, I wasn't in any danger from this. I was in a safe place to observe it. But still, wow. I noticed the speeding car heading off into the distance, but I was much more concerned with the car that had crashed through the trees. So I went over there to see if they needed any help. And inside the car were these two older women, and they kept telling me to get away from the car. They're like, no, 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 stay back, stay back. And I'm like, is it going to explode? I mean, what are they afraid of? And of course, that doesn't make me want to get back. I'm like, there's two women in this car. I want to help them get out. 
But I didn't see any signs of smoke or fire or anything. It didn't look dangerous. And it turns out that one of them had lost their wig and didn't want anyone to see them without their wig. And that's why they wanted me away from the car. (laughs) So after that drama was over, they managed to get out of the car themselves. They were fine. Nobody was hurt. And I helped them get back up to the embankment. And I gave them my contact info and said, hey, uh, you know, I saw this whole thing. That other car was clearly in the wrong. And then I gave a statement to the police. And I told them that this white car had sped by and forced these poor folks off the road. And that was that. Except that it wasn't that. We just went on and finished playing our Frisbee golf game. And the last hole in the parking lot, which is very convenient. And in the parking lot... I saw that car, the car that had forced them off the road. The driver was very quickly dumping beer bottles out of his car into the trash. And I'm like, oh, we got a story here, don't we? But I thought, oh, wait, I'm wrong. That's not the car. Because this car's silver and the one I saw is white. I'm like, well, that's odd. Why would there be... Would there... Was this car in a separate accident? Have I missed something here? I'm not really sure. But the cops quickly caught on to the fact that this was the guy and took him away. So that must have been the car, but the car I saw was white and this car was silver. So I went back to the scene of the crime, also known as the accident, and looked on the ground and found pieces of the cars involved. And there was definitely a big piece of the car that had gotten pushed off, but there were also little pieces of the car that had hit that car. And they were silver. I remembered seeing a white car. I still have a very clear memory of this white car speeding off. But all the evidence points to the fact that it was silver. And to me, this embodies this old expression that I think lawyers use a lot, pale ink is better than a good memory because I have to go with the evidence. Just to finish the story, I was called into court. They had a whole story made up about how the woman was driving erratically and caused the man to hit him. But because I was there and and saw it and was basically saying, no, that guy was going too fast, he entered a plea of guilty and that was the end of that. But anyway, the point of the story is that your memory is not a videotape. It can make mistakes, and, well, at least mine can, and I'm, uh, I'm assuming yours is similar. Product review. So this is a product I don't actually have, so it's kind of silly for me to do a review of it, but I've seen them, and I think they're a great idea, and I just want you to be aware that these things exist. They're called door steps, and they've got a whole bunch of different brand names. But the idea is that they're a step that hooks onto the door latch of your van, so you can stand on it and get to the roof. They range in price from $20 to $50. Some are made of metal, some are made of plastic. They're basically all the same. I actually like the plastic ones because the hook folds and they take up less space. And what people don't realize is that that latch where your door closes is one of the strongest parts of any vehicle because it has to keep your door shut in an accident. It is easily strong enough to support your weight. So you can use these things very safely, and they hold about 500 pounds, so don't have any worries there. The only worry really is your own agility that you can stand on one of these and not kill yourselves. These will work with the front doors and the side sliding doors, but not the back doors. And the reason there is because in the back doors, the latches are 
either on the bottom or on the top. They aren't on the sides. And therefore, even if you did hook it there, it wouldn't do any good. So I'll have links in the show notes so you can see these things. If you have a need to get up on your roof and you know tie a load down or clean your solar panels or whatever, these things can be a great help. Resource recommendation. Full disclosure, I used to work for Atlas Obscura. And guess what? That's what I'm going to recommend. Atlas Obscura is a website, atlasobscura.com, that promotes places that you may not know to visit. They have grown a ton in the, oh, 10 or 15 years since I've been following them. They have every listing that I can imagine is already on there. And basically, they give you all the details you need. And the way I like to use the site is to go and say, hey, I'm going to go to Lawrence, Kansas, and type that in on the site. And it brings up all the places within a certain range of Lawrence, Kansas that are interesting. And those interests could be historic, or they could be a strange collection of things, or an unusual piece of art. It's all very similar to Roadside America, but it's done in a very different way. Atlas Obscura is a little bit more hipster, if I can say that, a little bit more cool, whereas Roadside America is like, hey, here's this thing, you decide if it's cool or not. So the curation is different, but I find them both very valuable, and Atlas Obscura has a professionally written narrative for each of their places, and sometimes that's of of real value. I've written some of their places for them. If you do some of the places in Chicago, you'll see my byline on there. But doesn't matter. They're not paying me anymore. I'm just saying this because I honestly think Atlas Obscura is a good resource. And the creator, uh, Dylan Thuris, has amazing stories. He is your classic curious adventure guy. So read a bit more about him, too, and, and you can be entertained. It's Atlas Obscura, and I will have a link in the show notes. I got an email from a college professor by the name of Blanche. Hello, Blanche. Blanche had a very simple question that I turned into a very complex answer, because that is my way. And she was asking, hey, I'm building out an element. Great vehicle for this. What's the best 12-volt kettle I can get? She's going to use a French press to make coffee. It's a great way to do it in vans. I've talked about that a few times. But, you know, there's a lot of different 12-volt kettles, so which is best? She mentions that she's going to power it with her Jackery, so that caused me to go on a sideline. And this is the answer I gave her in the email. There are many that are best, with some exceptions. First, you have to understand that boiling water in a 12-volt kettle takes longer than on a stove. For that reason, I measure the amount of water I'm going to need in my coffee cup and boil only that amount. And by boil, I mean heat up enough to drink it. It takes about 10 minutes for 8 ounces of water to get near a boil. Second, you have to know that doing this will easily drain half of your Jackery's capacity. Heating things uses a lot of power, which is why most people also have propane or butane for cooking. But since battery technology has improved and prices have come down, more and more folks are cooking with electric. When I use my 12-volt kettle, I do it while I'm driving. I bought a kettle that hooks onto the back of my console, and I plug it into the front cigarette lighter so that it draws power from the starter battery, but I only use it while I'm actually driving. This saves my batteries and still gives me my hot coffee. The only catch is that I need to drive for 15 minutes or so before I get it. And this suits the way I travel just fine, but for folks who are going to be stationary, this is trickier. Sure, the Jackery will power the kettle, but how will you recharge the Jackery? 
Solar on a sunny day can take up to 10 hours, and it can take many hours of driving as well. So the simple question has a fairly complex answer, but once you've sorted that out, I recommend you get a kettle that is spill-proof while it's working, has its own fuse, and has some sort of light to indicate that it's on. I do not recommend the kind that sit on a heated base for van life. Too many things to go wrong there. So thank you, Blanche. That's actually a, a very good question. Not all 12-volt kettles are created the same, but it also opens up to the bigger picture of energy management, which is something I've talked about in the past and will talk about again. So thank you. Hey, so you may have noticed I didn't run an ad this time, and that's because I want to give a shout-out to folks who are volunteering to help feed our country, whatever country you're from, right now that has so many people who are food insecure. I volunteered one day this week with Team Rubicon helping to load food boxes, and I could see just how important this was and how much work is still needed. So if you have some time during this holiday season to help out and help get people some food, find a food bank, show up and say, hey, I'm here to help. If you're not really sure how to do that, get in touch with me and I will find you a way. Or you can join an organization like Team Rubicon or the Red Cross or Salvation Army or there's so many and they will lead the way for you. You will be giving a gift that you will probably never be thanked for personally but you will know that it is the most important gift that many of these people will receive this year. Thank you for considering it, and know that as many times as I've done this, I have never once regretted it. Thank you, folks. That wraps up episode 54. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. We do have a Facebook group. It is called Built to Go, a Facebook group. And I will answer every question that is asked there. Or you can email me at jeff at builttogo.com. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, consider what Amit Kalantri says. I am emotional about engines. If you hurt my car, you hurt my heart. <laughs> <laughs>